John chapter 2, and of course, I want to say again to, uh, to our mothers, so I thank God for our mothers. We have good mothers, and uh, we have smart mothers, too, and uh, uh, I like that. Uh, wisdom, and of course, I had a pretty sharp mom myself. She's, and I say had, I mean I have, and uh, she was up, she was waiting on her phone call uh, today, and uh, uh, I wasn't the first. My sister, Brittany, was the first to call her. I told her I was trying to be kind, and I didn't want to wake her up too early, you know, uh, and disrupt her day and her first cup of coffee, but uh, she, she, she really didn't believe that. <laughs> I could tell that in her voice. <laughs> she said, yeah, okay, honey, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I don't think she was buying that. I was trying to sell that, but uh, she wasn't buying it. So, uh, all right, John chapter 2 this morning, and uh, uh, I... Uh, kind of had a Mother's Day message prepared, you know, and uh, I had been planning on uh, preaching on mothers, and there's, there's actually a good mother in this passage of Scripture, but uh, boy, uh, me and the Lord, we've had one of those weeks now this week, and I've had one of those weeks uh, up, down, all, all sideways, over, and uh, uh, in, inside out, and, and then, uh, uh, but this is what uh, uh, is dominating uh, my heart today. This is something the Lord had put on my heart, and I believe that I would, uh, if I was to try to preach something different, I'd end up back on this. And so I must preach what God has put on my heart. But even in this passage of Scripture, we'll talk a little bit about the Lord's mother, which is Mary. And she's here in this, and we're in uh, John chapter 2, St. John chapter 2, and let's read some scripture here. And he says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, I need you to note that word wanted there, and he says, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. And she says, Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. And this beginning of miracles, I need you to pay attention to that. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today. 
Uh, Lord, as we, uh, as I try to preach, Lord, it'll be a feeble attempt. There's, uh, there's no strength in the flesh. But Lord, let the Holy Spirit get in it. Let the Word of God ring forth. And let the Holy Spirit work on hearts. And help us not to forget our, our mothers. And we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for the mothers we have here in this church. Godly mothers. Help them, Lord. Bless them in a special way today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, this here is early in Christ's ministry. And uh, by way of introduction, let me make sure and clear the water up. And for people that are watching, you all here will know the church that this is not fermented wine. Everybody goes here and says, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Preacher, so it's a little, it's okay for me to drink a little Mogan David on the side. You know, it's okay. Because Jesus did that. And after all, if Jesus did it, you know, what would Jesus do? Jesus did it. I can do it. That's not what he's doing here. You're doing an injustice to the scripture. Jesus, the Bible, says that Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. And the Bible is clear to say over there, I think, in Habakkuk, that if a man puts a wine bottle to his neighbor to cause him to drink, it's a sin. And Jesus would in no way endorse wine drinking, beer drinking, alcoholic beverage, and that's not what's going on here. God turned the water into wine. It's a miracle, and it was not fermented. It was what we call new wine, and new wine is found in the cluster of the grapes which is a perfect type of Christ. Christ is the pure vine. He is the pure fruit of the vine. Therefore, if Christ is the pure fruit of the vine, that would make Satan a type, the Antichrist. He would represent fermented alcohol and wine. And the Lord told us not to be wine bibbers. And so I want to clear that up, that this is not where Jesus turns uh, the water into fermented wine. That is totally anti-Christ in its thought and principle. But here we find some things going on. Christ here is invited to a marriage, a wedding, and that is fitting because the Lord instituted marriage. And we've kind of been preaching on that. This is the month that we preach on uh, the ladies or mothers or the wives place in God's plan. Uh, if you're going to have a biblical worldview, if you're a child of God, then you should want to do it God's way. And so last week we had preached on the meaning of I do. What that means when you step up to the plate and you have a spouse that you say I do to. But here, we have a marriage, and Christ endorses marriages. Let me tell you what Christ does not endorse, what the Lord does not look favorably on, and that's what's popular today, shacking up, living together, uh, running off in adulteries. God doesn't like that. God's not for that. God's for marriage. And here we find him at this marriage. There should be joy in the marriages. Uh, there should be a feast. We see this part of the Jewish custom. But then verse 4, we need to uh, exposit on this where he looks at his mother and he says there, because she comes to Jesus. Now she had been since the day of his birth, 
pondering these things about him being the Emmanuel in his heart. And as the Bible uh, in other places shows that Christ did many miracles before he revealed himself to the world here. He did them in his hometown. He did them in front of his brothers and sisters there. And his mother uh, had seen all these things and so she comes to him and says, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Now, why'd she tell the Lord? He's not eat up with money. He wasn't going to go down to the tasty freeze down there and buy some more. But she knew that he could do miracles. But here's what the Lord said to her. And he says, Jesus saith unto her woman. Now, this is a respectful reply. But God puts it in here so that we do not elevate Mary to a position that she should not be in. Mary is not our mediator between God and man. God said that he blessed Mary among women, not above women. That's what your Bible says. Now, Mary has a very special place uh, in this because God had favor on her and seen that she was a righteous woman and a godly woman and a woman that would do the job right. But he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Christ here is some 30 years old. And so I will touch on this, mothers, just a little bit. Uh, when those children leave the house, <laughs> your relationship becomes not a primary, but becomes secondary. And so she's trying, it looks to me as she's implying that she's going to order the Lord around. Now the Lord's 30 years old. He's done, uh, been, he's left home. He's not stuck 30 years old in the basement playing video games. I assure you that that was not our Christ. Our Christ was a carpenter by trade. He knew how to work with his hands. He knew how to do a little something in life. And he was a worker. And so the Lord is kind of gently rebuking her that what have I to do with these? You're not going to order me around like I'm a little kid. But watch what he says here. Mine hour is not yet come. Now I had pondered that a lot. And what did he mean by that? Because that's a phrase that you would find uh, when he was going to the cross there in Gethsemane. He says, the hour is come. And I'm thinking, maybe that's what he's referring to. But I don't think it is. If you was to take your Bible to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And here we see Christ. This is a little after this time. And he says, after these things, I'm in verse 1, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. And he says, now the Jews' feast of the tabernacle was at hand, and his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see thy works that thou doest. You see this? His brothers and sisters did not believe that he was the Messiah. And so he had done a lot of good works. He'd done some miracles in front of them. And they says, why don't you just go on and get out of here and go show yourself to your disciples in the world? Let's read on. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret. So the Lord had been doing the secret because his hour had not come yet to be revealed to the world as the Messiah. And he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus saith unto them, My time is not yet come, but your hour 
is always ready. And so I believe that's what the Lord was referring to here. It was not time for him to start this earthly ministry in the ways of miracles. But they needed a miracle. They had run out of wine in this marriage feast. Now a miracle is something that is beyond the laws of science. It is supernatural. It is something that man cannot do, but it has to have a supernatural intervention from God. But there's something else in here that we find that they had run out of wine, and so they had a need. Now, let me cover this. A need. Something, a need is something that is a strong influence in your life. A need is something that you can't do without. Now, with that said, you might need something, but you might not necessarily want it. Kids need to go to school, but a lot of times they don't want to. But they need it, don't they? They need that. And, and sometimes kids, they, they might even acknowledge that they need it, but they don't want it. Sometimes... We need doctrine, but you might not want doctrine. You ever met somebody like that? They need to go to the doctor. They're having some issues, but they're so mule-headed. Sometimes mothers are like that. Uh, they're a little mule-headed. They don't want to go to the doctor. They know they need one, but they don't want one. Sometimes people need counseling, but they don't want counseling. And so what I'm trying to share with you and to explain is sometimes people have needs, but they don't want what they need. And so what I want to say is some things that we need. Because this group of people, they had a need. And just because they had a need, it didn't mean that God was just going to automatically step in. I want you to see that in this portion of Scripture. Christ was there. He was there in person. He was there uh, showing His support for this marriage. And they needed wine. But just because Jesus, who could perform miracles, was there, He just did not automatically step up and go poof and make it happen. They had a need. Mankind needs God. A lot of time, mankind doesn't want God, do they? But they need God. Mankind needs God's salvation. They need Jesus in their life, but they don't want Him. We need church. You need church. God started the church, and we need church, but a lot of time, people don't want it. We need families. Sometimes people don't want them. We need good mothers. There's a need for good mothers, but sometimes mothers don't want to be good mothers. We need good fathers. And everybody would agree with that, but sometimes people knowing what they need, they might not necessarily want that. We need strong marriages. 
You would agree with me on that, wouldn't you? I mean, we need strong marriages. That's what's wrong with our world. That's what's wrong with America. We've got too many single-parent homes and children growing up without fathers, and they don't have role models or daddies that care enough about them to teach them how life works. We know we need that, but it's sure looking like people don't want that. We need Christian friends. I know saved people that need Christian friends, but they don't want them. And they're closer to their worldly lost friends than they are their Christian friends. And so you're seeing that we have needs a lot of time, but our needs are not our wants. And I will tell you this, we need revival. We need revival in this country. We need revival in this church. But do you want it? That's different. You see, this verse 3 here, look at this. Is it verse 3? He says, and when they wanted. You see, this thing had gotten past a need. They all knew they needed some new wine. And by the way, we need new wine. Uh, we need that fresh breath of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We need it, but do we want it? And so here they was clear to say, and when they wanted. Now, want is a little different than a need. And let me tell you something about wants and how they're different than needs. You know as well as I know, when you want something, it doesn't matter whether you need it or not, you're going to get it. And there's something different about somebody when they have that want. And he says, and they wanted. Now, a need is a pretty strong influence in your life. But a want is a stronger influence than a need oh you know and i know if you've been lived just a little bit of life you get to wanting for something maybe it maybe what rings your bell is a new vehicle you get to wanting that thing and next thing you know that's all you're thinking about And the next thing you know, it sparks a desire in you. And then all of a sudden you get that determination in you. And before long, you've talked yourself to the point of desperation. You don't need it. What you got's running good. But you want it. And you're desperate. And you're determined that you're going to have it. You see, that's what defines a want. And here they wanted Wine. You ever learn this, that people do what they want? Now, that's something else I've learned. People do exactly what they want. You take somebody that gets hankering to go to the amusement park. They don't care if it's on a work day. They don't care if it's on a church day. They're going to do it. You ever seen them kind of people? I think we're all that kind of people, ain't we? You get a little something down in there. I had, a, I had one of those little uh, uh, deals last night. 
I fasted yesterday. I told some of the men that I would be fasting and praying. And so when you fast, that means you do without food. And I'd been drinking juice, and I get, I've, I've never OD'd on vegetables or, or juice. Has anybody ever had a problem eating too many vegetables or drinking too much juice? Yeah, me neither. I've, I've never overeat on veggies. I've never overeat when I go on a juice fast on juice. I mean, you can drink buckets of it. You just never get full. You know why? It's because after about, the, about 12 ounces, you're like, oh, I don't need no more of this. I'm good. But boy, come about 6 o'clock in the evening. I know what I needed, but all of a sudden that want got to kicking in. And my brain got the thinking. And as I shared with the Sunday school class, that heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it? And Jenny, she had bought some fresh strawberries. Now, any other day, I could care less about fresh strawberries. I'm not a big strawberry person. I'll eat them if I have to. If there's nothing else around, even graham crackers, I'd eat them over strawberries. But she had strawberries. And so I knew there was some ice cream in there. But I'm on this fast, and I can't eat anything. And all of a sudden it come to me. I had this desire for sustenance. I got to craving. I wanted those strawberries. And I wanted a, maybe a banana. And I got to sitting there. And I got to thinking about that. And I'm sitting here. And we're kind of sitting here quietly together. Because Jen knows what time of the day it is. My stomach's growling. I'm getting a little grumpy. And all of a sudden that desire comes into determination. I am going to get those strawberries tonight. You know what happened? That desire by 7.30 turned into desperation. And I got this. It just hit me. It was an epiphany. It was like a flash of light. It was a light bulb. Went on, on top of my head. And a still small voice whispered in my ear. I'm still trying to discern if that was the Holy Spirit or the devil. And he says, you know, you can drink strawberries, stupid. Like, really? Yeah, in a banana ice cream milk smoothie with a little pineapple on the side. Who is that? You know what happened? <laughs> All of a sudden, I jump up, I've grown claws, I turned into a wolf, and I come roaring into the kitchen, and I'm getting stuff out. Matter of fact, it shocked Jenny so bad, she thought I was running from a house fire. Honey, what's wrong? What are you doing? And I didn't even have time to say anything. I was in there, and I had looking for the blender. Couldn't find the blender. And we got one of those fancy ones. She said, what's under there? Oh, good. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to get them strawberries because I want them. She says, you're on a fast. There ain't nothing against slurping them down through a straw. If you can get it through a straw, it's not eaten. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and she says, well, I got frozen pineapple in there. <laughs> and I pulled open that freezer and there was that Telemook French vanilla ice cream like oh there's nothing better 
get in. I started scooping some scoops into this. It didn't even bother my conscience. I never thought about it again because I'm fasting before the Lord. But I wanted those strawberries. And I devised a way to get them without breaking my fast. I drink them through a straw. What I'm saying is there's a difference between a need and a want. And when we get to wanting something, we will figure out a way to get it. Because a want is a stronger influence than a need. Marriages are falling apart because people don't want them. Families are falling apart because people don't want them. Mothers are failing today because they don't want to be mothers. They don't want to assume the responsibility that God had given them for that home. Churches, they're failing today. Now this is the part where God kind of gets in. And those of you that know me, know the background. And boy, I've seen churches fail over the years. And I've wrestled with that. And I've wrestled with that. And I think God give me a little something on why churches in America are failing. There's over 1,500 churches that close their doors every month. They fail. And I say, well, I've been worried about that. I'm working with a team on trying to revitalize churches. What can we do? And the Lord kind of give this to me while I was mowing the grass and I love mowing the grass church why is because God talks to me on that mower I kid you not my first job was mowing church grass and I look forward every week just as long as I got something I can ride now if I got to push it off then all of a sudden all bets are off I'm not into that because I got to keep this preacher figure I got to keep that and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that we got to we got to have that that's a chicken graveyard there. And so we got on that rider and the Lord began to deal with my heart as I begin to weep over why churches fail. And the Lord says this, churches don't fail because they're too big or they're too small. Pastors, don't, churches don't fail because the pastor don't preach good enough. They fail because the people don't want it. That's why they fail. And I thought that to be enlightening as I've had troublesome thoughts on why churches fail. And a lot of times we look and say, well, we're too top heavy. We're too bottom heavy. That doesn't matter. We got Jesus right there saying he'll do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Christ is there. He says where we're assembled together, he'd be in the midst. But he's just not going to do the miracle. If you want a miracle, you're going to have to want it. Churches are failing today because the people sitting in the pew don't want it. Do you want it? They don't fail because they got a bad rep. You can outlive a bad rep. Every restaurant in this town has a bad rep. You can overcome that. Let me tell you something. Why marriages fail, why churches fail, why people fail is because you don't want it. That's why. People fall away 
See, I've thought about this, and I was sitting there talking with the Lord. I said, but Lord, we're living in the Laodicean church age. Lord, there's people that's falling away. And the Lord says, yes, sir, son. Why do you think they're falling away? And they will not endure sound doctrine. It's because they don't want it. Oh, boy, I'm preaching now. I got her. Ain't nothing like spending a little time with the Lord and letting the Lord help you figure things out. Now, let me bring her home. Tree Life Baptist Church will only fail if the people don't want it. That's how it'll fail. It ain't going to be the preacher. It ain't going to be the Sunday school teacher. It ain't going to be because we run out of money or we're too big. It'll be because you did not want it. That's why I've got churches. I will not name them live. I've watched them for 20 years. I knew they were struggling over 20 years ago. And their doors are closed. The one church had to sell. And the other church is closed. They didn't do nothing with it. You don't want to know why? I was there in those church meetings when those things went down. And it was clear. Now I'm going back to my mind that the people that were left there did not want it. We were dealing with people that wouldn't take the trash out. They didn't want to help around the church. They didn't want to do nothing. They wouldn't even wash the windows. And so they sat there and they sat there until they closed the doors. You say, why preacher? Because they didn't want it. You see, Jesus would be right there in your midst. Jesus was here in this marriage. There he was, the king of all glory. There he was. You know he could do the miracles. That's the same God that parted the Red Seas. That's the same God that rained manna down on the children of Israel. There he is, but he's just not going to snap his fingers and make it all okay. You're going to have to want it. Our problem is we don't want what we need. We don't want what we need. I know this town needs a Bible-believing church on this side of town. I know so. I know so. I know this town needs a Bible-believing church that has not went liberal in its music. That does not have the laser lights to smoke the mirrors and all the stuff and get up and do the, the wiggle and the jiggle. And let me tell you something. If it makes you want to wiggle, it's not worship. Okay? And I understand we're not going to run thousands. We're probably not even going to run hundreds. But we could run 60s and 80s. We could, we could do that. God is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think, but you've got to want it. Jesus said his hour was not yet come. God was just not going to do this because it wasn't time for him to reveal himself. He was all the time telling people that he was doing miracles on, go and don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody. God, Jesus, was not trying to make himself look good. He was not doing things to bring glory to himself. He was doing things in obedience to the Father. And I'm telling you, you can have God right in your church service. You can have the man of God who's crying and fasting and praying and searching the heart of God and still fail if the people don't want it. 
Do you want it? It wasn't time for God to work a miracle. It wasn't time to reveal himself. But because he says they wanted, that means they had a desire. And that desire was being determined. Right there he says, and they wanted wine. But look here at verse 5. When Christ said, mine hour's not yet come. It's not time for me to reveal myself. You know what she did? Did that stop this godly mother? No, look with me in verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants. She didn't even miss a beat. Moms are good like that. She looked right at the servant and says, Whatever he saith unto you, you do it. You know what that is? That's determination. Not only did they have a desire for this new wine, they were determined. And Mary, uh, Mary the mother of Jesus, says, Look, we got to have this. We're gonna. She was determined that this was going to happen. Yes, it wasn't God's time to do a miracle. But I'm telling you, because they wanted it. Our wants will push God into action. But then that desire turned into determination, turned into desperation. Have you ever spent enough time in God telling God, I'm not letting you go until I feel your presence? (laughs) When's the last time you did that? How come we're not like Jacob? We won't wrestle with the angel of God. Sometimes God wants us to wrestle with him. But we don't want it. Our problem is we don't want what we need. We need revival. We need revival in this country. We need revival in this town. We need revival in this church. But do you want it? Do you desire it? Are you desperate for it? Are you, are, are you determined? We need church. And we need godly families. And we need each other. We need each other. But do you want it? Do you want it? A want is different from a need. A want is a stronger influence and a stronger motivator. We can acknowledge we know what we need. I can acknowledge to you all day long I need a diet. I need to lose weight. But I really don't want it. You know that. Some of you all laugh every time I go on another new diet or something because you know I really ain't. I just don't want it. But the doctor wants me to want it. (laughs) They say, look... You, you go, if you just drop a little weight, you'd be in a lot better shape. I know I need that. I need that. We can preach on that, but I don't want it. I get this attitude. I don't have to. 51 years old, I don't have to. <laughs> I'm afraid that's our attitude about church. I'm afraid that's our attitude about revival. We come to church... I, I'm just giving you my heart. We come to church hoping that the Holy Spirit don't get in because we want to get home. I do that. I don't want it to break loose. It might ruin my dinner plans. You say, really, preacher? I get scared to death every time somebody goes to waving their hands, start shouting, because revival's getting ready to break out. We might be here all day. 
Oh, my soul, preacher, I didn't know you were so carnal. Backslid. I'm telling you, as much as I'm praying and reading the Bible, if I'm thinking like that, I know you are. <laughs> We're afraid, aren't we? We're afraid for God to do a work. We're afraid to just kind of let loose and praise God, clap a little bit, have a little joy, let some folks sing some song, and just lift up our voices in praise and let people testify because we're scared to death because revival starts with one person getting right with God, standing up, testifying about it, and thanking God for their blessings, and the thing will sweep over like a storm. And we're scared of it. We know we need it, but we don't want it. Oh, friends, do you want it? Do you want good families? Do you want good children? Do you want a good church so that your children can learn how church really works? They can learn how to be a part of it. How do you think you get the next generation in the choir? You got to bring the children and let them sing and let them participate and spend some time with them. But you got to get them here. You got to want it. Churches fail because the people that make up the church don't want it. That's why they fail. Now, I'm pretty sure that's from the Holy Spirit of God this week. And it's just like our flesh to maximize the negatives. It's easy to do. Anybody that's ever been self-employed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're always projecting. You're always on the verge of going under. And you're trying to do whatever you can to keep it from happening. But there's a trap with that. Church is about faith. The ministry is about faith. It's not about business. And sometimes what doesn't make sense to man makes perfect sense to God. Let's not get our eyes on the wind, on the waves, on the storm, but keep them on Christ. And we're going to have to want it. Or God's not going to do the miracle. Now, y'all, I think God has revealed himself enough these last nine, ten years. And I don't mind saying this again. When I come down here ten years ago, there was no place for me to live. And so the men said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm coming anyway. They said, well, you won't have a place to live. I said, you got a prophet's chamber, don't you? Well, yeah, you can't live in that. Why not? We put preachers in it, don't we? I'm a preacher. I'll go stay in it. You coming? I'm coming. Why? Because I wanted it. God told me this is what I need. God told me to be here. So I come down. You know what God did? Because of that step of faith. No, we're doing this. God give this church a house. <laughs> Amen. Hey, that, that, I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. It wasn't two weeks later. They said, preach, you ain't going to believe this. We think God's in this. We think God wants you down here to be a pastor because somebody just give the a church the house. It's only three doors up. How in the world does that ever happen? How does that happen? 
Maybe we get one. We got some property there in Virginia. <laughs> Somebody give the church some property in Virginia. No, God give us a house three doors up. Now you tell me that ain't God working a miracle. You tell me that ain't God working. But we wanted it. We wanted it. And I could go on and on about what God has done for this church. And bless this church, you say, but yeah, but it sure don't look like it. As I look around, let me tell you something, church. You're stronger today. You're more spiritual. There's some of you that wouldn't say a peep eight years ago in church. And now every one of you, I think just about every one of you was counting your blessings this morning. You were speaking up. You were testifying to God. That would not have happened eight, nine years ago. I know it. I was here. You've grown spiritually. You have grown in the Lord and now you're willing to explain or to express that and to share that blessings and share the blessings of God with other brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them. But folks, we're going to have to want it. Do you want it? I had to get a hold of God this week. I want it. I don't know what God wants, but I want it. I want in on it. If God's going to do it, I want it. And you should too. Do you want it? Let's all stand this morning. Now, that's the message on my heart. I know that's not very Mother's Day, but we can put it in there. It was the mother of Jesus that had the desire, that had the determination, and had the desperation. When the Lord told her, no, it's not my time yet, she looked right at the service and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You know what she was doing? She wanted it. She said, this has to happen. And I understand it ain't your time, but I want it. And God says, because you want it, because you desire it, because you're determined, and because you're in the point of desperation, I'm going to make it so. But we're going to have to want it. You got to want it. Song of invitation, please, Christopher. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If God's spoken to you this morning, do you want it? Do you want a good marriage? You want good families? You want a good church? You got to want it on the altar.